Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. And the music you are listening to from Giacomo Puccini's Madama Butterfly is a signal to the focus of this episode, in which we will be discussing the story of the early 20th century opera star Marcella Kraft and its relation to the ongoing story of the significance of the soloist at the Mother Church and in Christian Science Church services more generally. Our guests are Rivi Feinsilber, an archivist at the Mary Baker Eddy Library and author of an article on Marcella Kraft for the library's Women of History series. In learning about Marcella Kraft, I wanted to learn more about the opera world. She was originally from Indiana, Mm-hmm. And at the age of 13 with her parents, she went to Riverside, California. And that's where her opera career really began. That's when she started singing and began training. So she went to Boston, and as we know, she stayed there for a few years training and also became soloist at the Mother Church. Also with us is Bill Burden, who has been a frequent soloist at the Mother Church. He has had a decades-long career in opera. Bill has sung with a wide array of distinguished opera companies. To mention a few, they include the Metropolitan Opera, the San Francisco Opera, the Lyric Opera in Chicago, La Scala in Milan, Italy, the Staats Opera in Berlin, and at the Gleinborn Festival in England. He teaches voice at the Juilliard School and at the Mann School of Music, the New School. There's also a long-standing tradition amongst musicians that church work was an incredibly beneficial way to be able to both support your studies mm-hmm. and to continue the work that you were doing. Right. So it would have been very natural for Marcella Kraft to have sought a church job and in the developing relationship she had with Christian scientists at that time, to be able to take on the role of soloist would have been a wonderful position. And also with us is Cynthia Jean Patton, or Cindy Patton, by way of excerpts from her master's thesis on Marcella Craft and Opera in Riverside, California, 1932 to 1957 which she fulfilled for her Master of Arts degree in music history and literature from California State University, Fullerton. So, from the abstract of her thesis, quote, American soprano Marcella Kraft, 1874 to 1959, after receiving musical training in Riverside, California, moved to Boston in 1895, where she studied voice and sang professionally. In 1900, she moved to Europe focusing principally on opera, first in theaters in small cities in Italy, and then in larger houses in Germany, particularly in Kiel, Mainz, and Munich. Kraft's career was notable on multiple accounts. As one of Richard Strauss's favorite interpreters of the title role in his opera Salome, and for her championing of the work in the United States, for her performance in the United States premiere of Mahler's Symphony No. 4, for her extensive U.S. recital career, and for her appearances with the San Carlo Opera, unquote. Also with us is Teddy Cresselius, another frequent Mother Church soloist, who also brings a strong background in theater and opera to his work. 
Teddy has participated as a director in the Glimmer Class Festival Young Artist Program in Cooperstown, New York, taught on the music theater faculty at Mahidan University in Thailand, and staged operas in non-traditional settings under the company name Cottage Industry Theater. Some of you may know Teddy from an earlier Seekers and Scholars episode when he sang examples of compositions by Eliza Mazzucato-Young, one of the first women composers to have an opera produced in the United States. A Christian scientist said to me once that the reason why all of the Bible is practical and useful is because it's all human experience. When you realize that, it's really the same with opera. It's all representing some facet of the universal human experience. And so certainly I think the content, even something like Salome, which as uh, Bill said, particularly at the time would have been especially shocking, you know, because it comes out of universal experience, it makes perfect sense to apply one's spiritual outlook when you're approaching and trying to relate to the role. So welcome, Rivi. Thank you. Happy to be here. And welcome, Bill. Hello. Nice to be here. And welcome, Teddy. Thanks. Such a pleasure. And also welcome to Cindy. She can't be with us for the recording, but we have her blessing in reading from her manuscript. So, Rivi, what do we know about how it was that Marcella Kraft, then Marcia Kraft, she took the name of Marcella Kraft as a stage name, how it was that Miss Kraft came to Boston, and then how it was that she became one of the very first people to hold the position of soloist at the Mother Church at the Christian Science Headquarters in Boston, Massachusetts. She actually, and I got this from Ms. Patton's thesis, that she fundraised money from wealthy business owners to get to Boston because Boston had more opportunities for opera singers. She was friend and patient of Laura Sargent, who was a practitioner of Christian science healing. And uh, she auditioned, and she became soloist. From Cindy Patton's thesis, I'd just like to share this quote because I think it brings us into how she got started at the Mother Church. Quote, in late 1897, Kraft auditioned successfully for the soprano soloist position at the Mother Church, First Church of Christ Scientists in Boston, where founder Mary Baker Eddy officiated. Her contract for the year 1898 dated December 8, 1897, stipulated that she was to sing solos at each of the two services on Sundays and to perform with the choir during the Friday evening meetings. So this is really interesting, Rivi, in terms of the history of the development of the structure of Christian Science Services, because she's about to get started in her role as a soloist at the Mother Church in 1898. And it's at that point that a lot of what's in that contract doesn't seem like it would apply any longer. The biggest change from when she signed this contract to the subsequent years of her as soloist is the change in choir, Mm -hmm. which was abolished around the same time she became soloist. It was decided by Mary Baker Eddy and the board of directors that it would be congregational singing and a soloist. Mm-hmm. I'd love to cite from something from uh, the Christian Science Sentinel of June 8, 1899. And actually, it's giving this account from uh, the Boston Herald. And it's, it's so interesting to me, 
Rivi, Teddy, and Bill, how um, reporters from other Boston <laughs> newspapers would regularly attend, or at least attend, important Christian science services and write about them and publish these articles in the general press in Boston about what was going on. So this is from the Boston Herald, and it notes the following. In the choir gallery were the precentor, Mr. J. Melville Horner, and the soloist, Miss Marcia Kraft, while Mr. Charles Albion Clark presided at the organ. Miss Marcia Kraft sang with much feeling and expression the beautiful communion hymn of the denomination, Saw Ye My Savior, the words of which were written by Mrs. Eddy. So, Bill and Teddy, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think of when you hear about Marcella or then Marcia Kraft's experience at the 1899 communion service? And first of all, what's meant by the term presentor? It's in, in many denominations, the person who leads the singing. So in a Christian science service as it is today, in a sense, that role's kind of been absorbed by the soloist and the organist in leading the singing. Okay. So for you, when you're participating in a Christian science service, you're performing these two roles, that of a, a soloist, but also somebody who's leading the congregation in its singing. That's correct. A Christian science church job is actually um, a very plumb position mm -hmm. because it doesn't usually require too much rehearsal time, mm -hmm. and it is an opportunity to hone one's skills as a singer in particular. So that sort of job would have been very sought after. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to ask you, Rivi, because it's in your article, what did it mean for Marcella to have this job? Not just because it helped support her in advancing her career, but what did it mean for her personally as well as professionally? So being a soloist for the Mother Church not only, as you said, allowed her to develop her voice and give her the technical work, as she said, to prepare her for better and broader work, but also to help her spiritually. We do have evidence that Mrs. Eddy was informed that, as it says, Miss Kraft is deeply interested in Christian science and takes our textbook with her when she travels. Mm. So it was very much definitely a part of her. And as we'll see, she traveled a lot, going to many different countries and opera houses. So it seems that that was her constant. Yeah. And, um, you know, from Miss Patton's thesis, it seemed that when people were writing about her, giving reviews, that sometimes they did identify her as a Christian scientist. For example, this from the Continental Times, August 10th, 1907. The Continental Times was an English-language newspaper in Germany. It gives the following commentary, quote, Miss Marcella Kraft, the American girl who sang in Traviata at Kroll's last Saturday, was received with great enthusiasm. The audience was largely composed of musicians. Miss Kraft is a Christian scientist, and a large number of scientists were present, unquote. So it's interesting that they called that out in the review. But Teddy and Bill... I'm so interested in this Boston Herald report when they say she sang the communion hymn, Saw Ye My Savior by Mary Baker Eddy, a very sacred work with much feeling and expression. 
That is interesting that that's observed considering this bylaw for music in church services for the Christian Science Church and its church manual. It, it reads, quote, The music in the mother church shall not be operatic, but of an appropriate religious character and of a recognized standard of musical excellence. It shall be played in a dignified and suitable manner. I'm curious, when you approach a solo, how do you combine those qualities of dignity and an appropriate religious character with what's being identified in her presentation of something that delivers much feeling and expression? Is that difficult to do, to bring those things together, considering those directives? As I reflect on choosing a solo for a service, I always go from the text, Mm -hmm. which would then afford me the opportunity to try and put that text forward in a dignified and properly religious way. I also believe with all my heart that the addition of music to appropriate text transforms that text in a way that is emotional and heartfelt and spiritual and touches people in ways that text alone does not. Mm-hmm. I think it's why movies have scores and why the art form of opera is so powerful because it is the collaborative effort of all the other performing arts in one. There's movement, there's costuming and staging and acting all tied together with incredible music that moves an audience even if the language being sung is foreign to them. Mm -hmm. And so the bylaw makes perfect sense to me in that we take text that we all might be incredibly familiar with. Certainly students of Christian science would know the text of the communion hymn Mm -hmm. and that that text is heightened, elevated, transformed, and brought to sort of newer, inspiring expression through the music. Yeah, Bill, just to read a few lines from that work, words by Mary Baker Eddy, the communion hymn. This is just the first verse. Saw ye my Savior, heard ye the glad sound, felt ye the power of the word. T'was the truth that made us free and was found by you and me in the life and the love of our Lord. So Cindy Patton writes in her thesis, quote, Kraft wrote to Mary Baker Eddy on September 4th, 1900, resigning her position. She explained that she had reached a point in her career that required her to study in Europe. She added that her exposure to the Christian Science Church had had a positive effect on her singing, and she had grown from her experience. She felt she had received a sign that it was the right time to resign to prepare for a future operatic career. In response, Eddie sent her regrets, but wished Kraft well and included her blessing, unquote. So, Rivi, how did things go for young Miss Kraft in Europe? I could say well, but that's a bit of an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) She um, started in Italy, but where she really took off was in the German opera houses, Mm -hmm. particularly when she starred in Salome and 
Madame Butterfly. And Salome was not just her starring in it. It was also that she did make it her own a bit. She did make it more modest. And also she actually did the Dance of the Seven Veils herself in a different way than maybe what some others did, more salacious. And she also had a hand in designing the setting a little bit. So she really shone through not just as a performer, but also when we'll see later when she directed operas. Mm. So, Bill, in thinking about one of Kraft's signature roles, that of Salome, what would have been its significance in European culture or in culture generally at this time? A piece like Salome would have garnered both praise and derision, depending on the person seeing it, because it is a setting of the story of the Princess Salome dancing the Dance of the Seven Veils to get her stepfather to allow her to then call for the head of John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. because her mother sort of had been insulted by him. And so the biblical story taken to the extreme in Strauss's and uh, Oscar Wilde's telling of this story, it's incredibly prurient and very, very physical and sensual and highly emotional. So audiences would have gone crazy, both in their adulation and in their disgust, perhaps even. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a perfect example of opera eliciting hugely strong emotion in the listener. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating what you're saying. I was very struck by this report on Kraft based on a interview that the Christian Science Monitor had with her, and this was in 1915. So this would have been after her first stint in in Europe when she has to come back. Twice her time in Europe is interrupted by wartime conflict. So she's back in the United States at this point, but she's talking about her experience working with Richard Strauss in developing um, her performance of Salome. And it reads, quote, In working out my Salome under the guidance of Strauss, she explained, I knew that what I reached would be the product of my individual imagination. I knew that the character would grow out of what I thought must have been the guiding sentiment of a princess in Roman colonial society. I could not tell at all how near I should come to be the actual Salome. The only thing I was sure of was that my Salome would be representative of those barbarous times as I saw them. And then she goes on a little later in the piece and says, Every role is an appeal to humanity. The figure of Salome is a tremendous exposition of the tragic doctrine that evil, pushed to its greatest success, brings its own punishment. Salome teaches me that you may carry your point by utter malice and gain your end completely, but still... You defeat yourself. Um, That, for me, has a lot of resonance with Mary Baker Eddy's thought in terms of the ultimate self-destructiveness of of evil. Um, Well, something obviously shone through in craft that made her such a huge star and appreciated by perhaps the most uh, famous opera singer of her time, Enrico Caruso. And this is from a, um, a review from the Munchener Post. How's my pronunciation? (laughs) Great. Okay, Munchener Post. 
um, October uh, 1910. So this is um, before needing to leave uh, Europe on account of World War I. And this is about her performing in a Puccini piece. Um, and it reads, Caruso sang this time in La Boheme in his native Italian tongue. And so did his partner, Miss Craft, as Mimi, which I do not hesitate to call one of her very best roles. And she really did her part well. It was a touching moment when Caruso, on being called before the curtain, tore from a gigantic bouquet of violets that had been presented to him a handful of dainty flowers and pressed them into the hand of his partner, Mimi. And that review is cited in Cindy Patton's thesis, and she includes many others, and they really give a sense of the importance that Marcella Kraft held for her audiences in Europe. Here's another example. This is one from La Patria in Bologna, Italy. Um, and it reads, Miss Kraft is a very choice singer, and the numerous audiences conquered and fascinated by her perfect interpretation confirmed its favor by lavishing untiring and frenetic applause upon her at every phase. <laughs> What's that like? Um, oh, it's, it's hard to get gushing press like that these days. And, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible. Um, so after these various and many triumphs in Europe, Marcella returned to her hometown of Riverside, California. And this again from Cindy Patton. Following her retirement from opera and concert performance in the early 1930s, Kraft returned to Riverside, where at the height of the Depression, she founded the Riverside Opera Association, one of California's first community-based opera programs. She produced nearly 50 operas and over 200 performances, and the high praise she received as director of the Riverside Opera Association is well-merited. The many community opera organizations active now throughout the United States owe a debt of gratitude in some measure to Kraft for her pioneering efforts to bring opera to the people. For you, Bill and Teddy, what has this meant, you know, to, to learn a little bit more, perhaps, about her? Certainly. I don't know, um, Bill, if, if you were familiar with her before or uh, had a sense of who she was before going into this. I wasn't, really. I mean, I had, I had heard her name. And there have been other incredible, particularly soloists at the Mother Church, who came through the operatic tradition. And to get to feel a part of that legacy of an expectation of excellence and the pursuit of the uplift that I think music can provide in, in our church services is humbling and really fills me with gratitude. Mm. Well, I certainly see it that way. I think there's a direct link from Marcella Kraft to Teddy Cresselius and Bill Burden and others, <laughs> and with many others in, in between. I, yeah, what I am enjoying reflecting on is her as one of the first soloists, uh, whether or not she was, was the first soloist, but definitely was there at the time that choirs were being phased out and more emphasis was being placed on the solo and just thinking about that in terms of the bylaws that are in the church manual about uh, the solo and the conventions that have come up around solos in Christian science churches, uh, just thinking that Mrs. Eddy and perhaps the, the board of directors at the time and, and others who were overseeing the church services must have had an incredible trust in her. You know, here was someone who was 
still on the upward trajectory of her career. She was not uh, an established star at this point, but was someone who they really must have had some trust in as they were figuring out what a Christian science church would look like going forward. Um, You think of the real value of the solo in the church service. You know, a lot of Christian scientists just really kind of treasure that part of the church service still today. And yeah. You know, she must have had a role in in why that became the case. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know a bit more about her and and just reflecting on that trust that's placed in in soloists. I've thought about the bylaw that was mentioned earlier about what the music in a Christian Science church should be like. I've noted before that the bylaw doesn't say. Um, music in Christian science churches, or it doesn't say uh, the solo and the organ music, it's soloist and organist. So it's a bylaw directed uh, directly at those musicians. Mm -hmm. It speaks to the trust that was being placed in her and, and other musicians in Christian science churches at that time to really bring their own understanding to the role. Well, thank you so much for that insight, Teddy. It's been wonderful to have you uh, as a guest here for Seekers and Scholars. Thanks so much. Sure, yes, yeah, it's great to be here. And thanks so much, Bill. Wonderful to get your perspective from your deep experience with both church soloing as, as well as in the operatic field. So thanks so much, Bill. Thank you. And thank you so much, Rivi for kind of leading us in <laughs> into this subject matter and for taking on this task to research about Marcella Kraft in, in our collections. Just curious, was there anything that was sort of specific to what we have here at the Mary Baker Library that contributed to your piece? The letters between Kraft and Eddie. Mm-hmm. And also we have other reports or copies of letters that noted Kraft's talent and dedication from what we know to Christian science. So that really helped a lot. Also, we had what you'll see on the website when and if you want to look at this article, we had that beautiful picture of her. Mm. So that really helped me understand both sides of Marcella Kraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that work, and thanks for being part of this episode, Rivi. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and a big thank you to Cindy Patton for her wonderful writing on Marcella Craft. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seekers and Scholars as we looked at the career of opera star Marcella Craft and its connection to the history of the important role of the soloist in Christian Science Church services. In coming months, look for episodes with connections to this one, including on Christian science history in Germany and spiritual influences in the history of Broadway theater. There is only one known recording of Marcella Kraft in existence, and we are happy to share that with you. It is part of the Edison Legacy series, which includes rare recordings that took place through inventor Thomas Edison's record company. So please enjoy a portion of this vintage recording from June 5th, 1918 in New York, of Marcella Kraft singing the aria, Adio del Passato, from Giuseppe Verdi's La Traviata. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening.
This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2022.